everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of the SBK betting podcast. It's a jumps preview and you're in for a treat because we've lined up a perfect combination of jumps enthusiasts. Ross loves the jumps, Miller. Dan Overall, who has been sitting under a rock for the last six months waiting for this to uh, to come alight. And Tom Collins, who is switching uh, ever so effortlessly from the flats uh, and the delights of the Breeders' Cup over to the jumps with a big grin on his face as well. We had a really good start to the season with the SBK uh, betting podcast, our, our regular weekly instalment. And we've had, we've landed a few good gambles already. So this team uh, that we've got ahead of you to give us some of their thoughts on of the horses to follow for the jump season are here and prepped and ready to go. And there is so much to get into. So we'll start um, as uh, as we need to go on and we'll begin with novice hurdlers to follow and why. And we can have a, a section for each of our um, of our preferred uh, distances and for each uh, grade as well. So we don't have to be specific. It doesn't need to be a high class sort. It can be from anywhere, from England, Ireland, Scotland, wherever it might be, but something that has caught the appeal of um, the guys who join me uh, today. So we will crack on straight into it and a novice hurdler to follow and why. And Ross, I'm going to start with you because I know you've done plenty of work on all these different sections. Uh, where have you found a novice hurdler? And I hope that there's a there's one sort of creaking under the surfaces that we haven't really heard about yet that you're really looking forward to seeing this season. Well, I, I've, got, I've got two, Jess, uh, breaking the rules straight out the blocks. Um, the first one we've definitely heard of because he, he ran in juvenile hurdles last year is Ilete Tomp, uh, Willie Mullins. But I think Willie Mullins has got so many nice bumper horses coming through, so many exciting novice hurdlers going novice chasing that this one might just not get the airtime that perhaps he deserves. Uh, he chased home uh, Phil Dor uh, a couple of times last season and Vauban, obviously. Um, only had three runs over hurdles. He came from France, having not jumped a hurdle, chucked straight in the deep end, um, ran with real credit. He's a bit keen. He's a bit of a sketchy jumper. That's got to improve, but I think it will. Um, and I think that experience he had last year is going to stand him in great stead. He's by Jukebox Jury, um, who's the sire of Farclass, Warlord, all of who are pretty strong stayers around the two-mile trip. Farclass stays a lot further. And, of course, Princess Zoe on the flat. I think stamina is going to be his thing. If he learns to settle, I could see him going out in trip later on in the in the season. Um, and then the other one that, again, probably won't have heard of, but he, he won very nicely last week at Chepstow, was Knowsley Road of Paul Nichols. Um, he really struck me with his jumping. There were shades, and I say shades, of Brave Man's game about the way he went over his hurdles on a first run at Chepstow. Uh, jumped beautifully, powered away probably idled a bit when he got to the front they bypassed the last hurdle which meant they had a very long run in at Chepstow idled a bit looked at the crowd I was really impressed with him I think he'll make up into a smart horse and he slightly perhaps went under the radar because Paul Nichols had a treble that day had to us for the Noel Feely racing syndicate so that gets quite a bit of publicity and Isaac de Obo who's the half-brother to Clan de Obo won the bumper Nosley Road I think perhaps didn't get the the credit he deserved of the three. I think he's a smart horse going forward. I could see him making up into a decent type, maybe for the Chalo later in the year. Okay, thanks, Ross. Two for your tracker then for novice hurdlers from Ross's selection, Ilete Tom from Willie Mullins and Nolsey Road from the Paul Nichols yard. Uh, Dan, overall, uh, from your perspective, are the, is the key to the novice hurdler division in the more obvious camps or have you found one sort of lurking somewhere less obvious? Well, I think they always tend, they will be really. I think if you're looking for the, the big festival winners, you know the place to tend to go. It's going to be Gordon Elliott. It's going to be Willie Mullins, Nicky Henderson, if he's got a decent string. I've kind of gone a bit lower down the totem pole, I'd say. We have seen him run this season. He hasn't actually won yet. He's run four times on the rules, but he achieved a hell of a lot in bumpers despite not winning. And I thought it was a promising hurdling debut. And that's from Blow Your Wad from the Tom Lacey team. You look at the form of his bumper runs. I don't think many horses achieved more in bumpers without winning. He was second to Lucia on debut, gave her a stone. She's now favourite for the Mayor's Novice Hurdle after bolting up in a listed race. Second to Tamuras, who Ross mentioned earlier as well. He won a strong Chepstow Novice Hurdle uh, earlier in the season. Uh, he actually, Bobby Ward should have beaten him that day as well. He, he just threw it away due to maturity. And he was fourth in the entry bumper where he came from well off the pace to mount a challenge. But again, just showed a few signs of maturity that day. 
But I thought on his hurling debut at Ascot, he showed signs that he was maturing and having obstacles in front of him definitely seemed to aid him. He was still a bit keen early on, but he did settle as the race progressed, jumped pretty well, finished a close-up second behind a leave of absence who for Chris Gordon, who we know has started the season in flying form. He was actually third in that entry bumper as well. And those two stretched about 10 lengths clear of the rest. And the third and fourth had some decent bump forward to their name as well. So there's reason to expect that that's a decent run. I spoke to Tom about this horse at the start of the season. And I think he was very much of the opinion that this is a horse of a lot of ability, but only a four-year-old with still a fractious mind. And they're going to sort of bring him on slowly. So perhaps, well, he probably won't be a Cheltenham horse or a grade one horse this season. But I think we'll see the best of him as he develops later on into the season. And he might just be one that I think I've no problem in winning a novice hurdle. We might just see him eke out into a, a handicapper later on in the season. And because he's still a bit of a slow developing horse, he could be one for those spring handicaps. And I think in general, he's a, he's a lovely, lovely long-term prospect. Two miles is fine for now, but as he settles, two and a half will be no issue. And yeah, he's one I'm very excited for for this season and seasons ahead. Okay, and an, an interesting one, a nice insight as well from Tom Lacey, uh, who takes these horses quite slowly through through their through their levels. Okay, um, TC, um, from your perspective, who's really caught your eye? Yeah, so I'm going to also break the rules, much like Ross, and give you two names. Now, the first is Basar Vega, just purely because we need to mention this horse. You know, last year he looked absolutely dominant. He's got a pedigree to die for by walking the park out of Quivega. He's unbeaten so far. He's with Willie Mullins. He could be and should be the real deal. I fully expect him to win the Supreme. I've actually not been as high on another hurdler since Duvan back in 2015. I think he's better than Altior at this stage of his career, better than Min, etc. since. So really like high hopes for Fasal Vega. He's a short price for the, the Supreme already. So there's no point going on to odds checker quickly now and, and looking on the prices. But, uh, you know, he's probably going to dominate this division. The other horse who's really probably unconsidered and maybe forgotten about by many and you know, not even known by plenty as well, is Springwell Bay. Now, John Joe O'Neill's got a really promising and encouraging group of young horses. I think Dan's actually going to touch on this later on as well. And the best of those might be Springwell Bay. On his sole Irish bumper start, he finished second at the Punchestown Festival, 20-runner bumper. Um, he finished second behind one horse called Adamantly Chosen, who subsequently won a grade three for Willie Mullins. It was a really good race. The horse that finished third won the bumper the other day at Dan Royal as well, called Con Fonnock. So I think that was good form. He then moved to O'Neill. He's two from two, won a bumper and then a novice hurdle. He's just going to be really well suited by a fast pace and he's yet to have that aside from in his Irish bumper. I don't think we've seen the best of him by any means. Now, I don't expect him to be Fasal Vega or Fasal Vega's lever, mm. level, but at the same time, I think he's going to win plenty of novice hurdles this year. Yeah, he's a, he's a half-brother to Mint Condition who stayed really well. So he could be one that might uh, appreciate more of a trip. And Fasar Vega, well, what can you say? Willie Mullins says he hasn't been as excited about a horse uh, in years um, than Fasar Vega. So, look, he, the man, the man uh, is very uh, excited about what we could be seeing this season after what was a fabulous year last year. So uh, Fasal Vega, Ilete Tomp um, from the Willie Mullins Yard, Nozzy Road from the Nichols team. I'm going to throw in Country Lady, um, a mare that I saw doing a bit of schooling at the Paul Nichols's Yard uh, earlier on in the year. And she was actually on, she was doing a bit of schooling with Isaac de Zabo. She's a half-sister to Frodon. And um, I haven't, if you go, if you try and search her on Racing Post, you can't actually find her. Her name isn't registered yet, but I'm pretty certain she'll be out this season over hurdles. Um, and uh, she's one that I know the Paul Nichols team thought was was schooling extremely well. So hopefully we do see her out. Um, so Paul Nichols has started the season off very well. Springwell Bay as well, another one to add to the list. And Blow Your Wad from a novice hurdler's perspective. Right, novice hurdlers build nicely onto novice chasers. Um, and at least with this novice chaser sphere, we've seen... A lot of these horses, what they've been able to do over the smaller obstacles. So is there a horse that stood out as one that's just desperate for offence? That's probably what we're looking forward to seeing. And we've, we've got a, a big, big selection to choose from. So very, always very difficult to, to rattle it down. I'm sure, Dan, um, you found quite an unusual one and blow your wad for a novice hurdler. Where have you gone for a novice chaser? I'd say this one's a bit more conventional. Uh, I, I, we have seen him already over fences, which I, I think he made a very encouraging debut. I think people were very excited to see him last season, but for injury, and that horse is Bear Gills uh, for the Nicky Martin team, who 
prior to the Ballymore had, had proven an immense prospect. I mean, you go back through some of his form now, beat Guard Your Dreams by 19 lengths in a bumper. He was three from four over hurdles, winning all three starts prior to the Ballymore. He beat Gal Road under a penalty, which obviously looks very decent now. And in that Ballymore, he did not look out of place whatsoever against the likes of Brayman's Game, Gayard Dumanil, Bob Ollinger and co. Travelled up really nicely on the outside of him. Again, if anything, too keen. And then his old jumping frailties really just kind of hampered him in the closing stages, but still finished a very admirable fourth that day. As I say, he got injured subsequently, so he didn't see him last season. But he made a very encouraging return to the track at Carlisle in the intermediate chase the other day. Jumped really well, bar a terrible error at the second, which I think, if anything, aided his jumping thereafter. He actually jumped pretty much spectacularly after that. And then at the last, he made a bit of a fiddly error, but he was just clearly tiring at that stage. And two and a half miles in testing ground around Carlisle on the back of a 600-day absence. I, I think that would happen to most horses. But that was a very decent race. It always tends to be. And the fact he was sent off favourite for that, despite the absence, and oh, he was getting weight from others, I think shows you the regards in, in, in which he was held. Now, he's, he's got a rock mark 142, but I think they're going to campaign him like a, a proper graded horse. There's a, a two and a half mile grade to at Newbury in November. I think maybe the Dipper uh, at Cheltenham as well might be a potential option down the road. I think Nicky Martin suggested they're going to try and build him up to, to three miles eventually. I think that might be a long-term plan for Aintree, perhaps, because at Cheltenham in the Ballymore, he did seem to get a tad unbalanced at times. Whether that's just his immaturity or whether it's just he might need a flatter track in future yet remains to be seen. But based on what he achieved over hurdles and the promise of his chasing debut, I think he's certainly capable of mixing it with the grading of his chases in this country. Whether he's a Cheltenham horse or a festival horse remains to be seen, but... I think he's one to be massively excited about for for a small operation as well. It'd be great to see him have a, a proper horse to go to war with. Yeah, and Nicky Martin's really started his season off really nicely, hasn't he? Um, and yeah, I think they'd be delighted with the way that that horse returned. Obviously, you mentioned the Ballymore 2021. So um, there's been a long time coming for them to get this horse back to uh, the track. So yeah, Bear Girl's really intriguing to see how his um, season progresses um, after that first run um, over fences. Um, TC, any what, what stood out to you? Has there been one horse that you've looked at last year and thought, did enough over hurdles but gosh it's desperate for offense yeah i think so journey with me is the horse i came down on now i've absolutely loved this horse since march 2021 when he won uh, a goran park bumper the same bumper that the connections won with bob ollinger the year previous um always been a big believer in him especially going into Cheltenham last year on the back of two hurdling victories i thought he had a great chance in the ballymore and he showed up really well for a long way you know he got to the last um, bang in line with second uh, with three-stripe life. So Gerhard was in front of him at that point and went on to win the race um, as he should have based on form and you know market price and expectations. The journey with me actually ran really well considering. Then he went to punch us down. Henry de Bromhead's team were just in terrible form in the late part of the spring. Very few of his runners actually ran to expectation at all. Um, those that did, you can mark up as well, considering the actual overall yard form. Journey with me didn't perform at punch us down. I think you could put a line through it. I think the early season form from Journey With Me is enough promise there to suggest that he could be a real top novice chaser. And we can't forget that on his only chase start in a point-to-point -point prior to actually running under rules, he beat Gentleman Demi by 13 lengths, which is very good form. That horse is very talented for Willie Mullins. Last year over hurdles, he smashed Kilcrut, smashed Manella Crooner. I think he's a very good horse on his day. And, you know, maybe the Brown Advisory is a great spot for him at Cheltenham. I, I can't wait to see him first out this year, and that'll give us a lot more indication of where he goes. Um, but Jenna with me is definitely a horse in my tracker. Okay, yes. Um, Henry de Bromhead's horse here had, had his whole world at his feet and looking to, to really replicate Bob Odinger in, in the same silks as well. And they definitely have a, a nice sort, um, if anything, really intriguing. I think I agree with you, especially as a point-to-point -point winner um, from uh, his early days. We know that he will be adapt to these uh, th these fences. Right, Ross, um have you cheated? Have you got a couple in here? It's very difficult to pin down just one. It's a really, really good division. It's always fascinating to see who develops a, a, to a high-class numbers chaser, isn't it? Yeah, I bet to seek forgiveness and ask permission, Jess. So yeah, I've gone with two. <laughs> um, my first one is very much like with TC, with, with Jeremy and me, Dysart Dynamo. I've, I've just loved him all the way through. I, I get that he's not for everyone. Um, he's very, very keen, can be a bit free, can be a bit chancy. Um, I will concede that he was very unlikely to have beaten Constitution Hill 
uh, in the Supreme. But the fact of the matter is he was still traveling. What he would have found up the hill, I think, is questionable because he, he, he did he did go hard early, but he was still traveling when coming down. Um, let's say Constitution Hill is a, is a different class. Uh, you know, he was going to get close to John Bonnet. I'm fairly certain of that. Um, it sounds like he's going over fences. He's going to have to back off. He's going to have to jump better. If that happens and he's then able to start to harness this inherent ability that he clearly has, I think he can take really high order. Um, he reminds me a touch, not in stature, because he's quite a big horse and Underso wasn't a big horse. But Underso hit the floor first time out over fences at, at Turles and then started to think about what he was doing. I hope it doesn't take Dysart Dynamo to sort of hit the deck to, to learn. Hope he takes to it properly. But it wouldn't surprise me if he sort of made a few muddling errors early in the season and started to learn as he went on. If he does, I think he's a really talented horse. With John Bon, I think perhaps going two and a half miles, Constitution Hill staying uh, hurdling route. I think uh, he's, he's one of the most exciting two-mile novice chasers. Then the other one, I had to change my notes this morning. I had him down as with Pat Doyle, but he's actually moved to... Willie Mullins um, is Flame Bearer, um, who again is quite keen, but he's a gorgeous big horse. He's steadily progressed through the hurdle ranks, finished up splitting State Man and Three Stripe Life at the Punchstown Festival last year, which was a really good run. He's got the physique that should make up into a chaser. Now, I don't always stand by that because chasing is a little bit about scope, but it's also an awful lot about technique and intelligence. Um, and you just simply don't know until they until they do it in a race. But physically, he's impressive. Um, he's now with Willie Mullins. That can only be a good thing. Um, and I think uh, Flame Bearer, not everyone might have heard of him, but I think he's a really smart horse to go forward with. Okay, so novice chasers to follow. Bear Girls, Journey With Me, uh, Dicer, Dynamo and Flame Bearer, all really interesting sorts. My one I'm going to throw in is Strip Crawford's O'Toole, who this time last year, uh, well, I think it was a little bit later in the season, but he was talking of this horse as the best horse he's ever trained and said that long term he was going to be hopefully a Gold Cup prospect. He didn't really materialise at the end of the season as best as they wanted him to. And it was disappointing when he was beaten in a in a, in a novice handicap hurdle, but I think he's definitely better than that. And he's uh, he's by Marler and they've always just taken a bit of time. Um, and I just, I've got, I, I like Strip Crawford as a trainer. I really like the way that he places his horses. And I'm just going to keep some faith in O'Toole that uh, he'll be better um, facing a fence. So um, intrigued to see how he gets on. He wrote as the, the Simon Muir and Isaac Swade double green. Um, so that's Novice Chasers. Um, now we'll get into the more uh, juicy subject of the two mile hurdlers because over the years we've really lacked a bit of a bit of oomph, I suppose, with this division. We've had horses that have just dominated. We've had weak champion hurdles, and uh, we've we've also had the the hope that the five year olds would materialise, but just haven't really been able to stand their ground. Now we have what could be um, the next star in this division in Constitution Hill, uh, who will hopefully, we hope all things going well, tackle um, the likely um, opponent that is the, the Wonder Mare Honeysuckle. So want to get the opinions of uh, the guys on on um, on this pod to see their thoughts on the two mile hurdle division. They could be completely against both of them, but I think it's the topic that we're going to be discussing throughout the course of the season. So, um, Tom Collins, I'll start with you first because we know what Honeysuckle's done. We've seen what Constitution Hill can do in his own division. This is very different now. What, what are your thought, thoughts? Yeah, I actually don't think this uh, open company division, you know, going up to the champion hurdle from novices is actually that much tougher, if any. It might actually be easier, Honeysuckle aside. I, look, I want to take nothing away from Honeysuckle. She's 16 from 16. The majority of her victories come in grade one. She's a wonder mare. Eight years old, still boasts 100% record. Phenomenal. But Constitution Hill was different gravy. Like, this horse is potentially the next big thing. I mean, in the Supreme, he achieved an RPR of 172. Now, if you look back at the previous winners of Supreme, he's over a stone better in that race than when Duvan won, than when Classical Dream won. Exactly a stone when Votor won, much better as well. Six pounds superior to Altior in the race. I mean, this horse could be the horse that we're getting youngsters involved in, in the sport because of Constitution Hill. You know, we're going to have banners, we're going to have posters, we're going to have lots of advertising promoting this horse and horse racing in general. Uh, from a punting perspective, yes, he's very short. He's 11 to 8, uh, roughly now, for the champion hurdle. He was 2 to 1 back in March after he won the Supreme. 
for the champion hurdle this year. Uh, look, I'm not going to back him anti-post. I'm not one of those type of people. Um, I don't want to be putting my money aside for months and months on end on an 11 to 8 shot. But at the same time, how do you get this horse beat? Like, he's better than Honeysuckle, in my opinion. So, Constitution Hill for me. I think he dominates. Okay, big words. Now, Tom, I love Constitution Hill like the next person does. And I think on this podcast, we spoke about uh, about him early on when just before... It was either just before he won second time at Sandown or just afterwards. And I was very keen on him on this, in the Supreme. We had the back and forth with Ross about whether he should go Ballymore and, you know, all the extra. But I feel like... And Dan, I want to get your thoughts as a, as a neutral point in this because you know there we've we've gone we've gone round with Constitution Hill before. We have been in this position before. The likes of Sam Crow, Envoy Alan, we've had these absolute world beaters that just didn't materialise. What makes Constitution Hill different? Why is he different? Well, very good question, and I guess. I think in terms of the raw figures of what he's achieved so far, he is a level above what even those horse, like the likes of Sam Crow and Envoy Alain have done. I think TC's already mentioned it briefly there, like the figures that he managed to put up in that Supreme. I think it's six seconds quicker than the champion hurdle as well, carrying four pounds more than Honeysuckle. And I think what impresses me most about him is the variety of conditions he's handled thus far for such a young horse. Obviously, he went from fairly testing ground at Sandown to pretty quick ground at Cheltenham. Like that's two very different tests. And for all that you can say, the Supreme kind of fell apart because of the pace that Dysart Dynamo and John Bond set and obviously Dysart Dynamo falling. I mean, it takes a pretty special horse to be able to cope with those with that pace on that ground in the way that he did and still just stride away so effortlessly. Like We've seen this script before, like you say, Jess. Young horses don't always go on as much as we hope they would. But based on what he's already achieved, he doesn't necessarily need to progress that much to really be the favourite in the champion hurdle. I, I just think if we got this clash maybe a year or two ago, this Constitution Hill versus a probably a primer Honeysuckle, then I think it'd be a bit more interesting. But Honeysuckle going on nine, look, she's been fantastic for the sport and for connections. But I think if she was to be able to, to beat a Constitution Hill that shows the same level of form he did at Cheltenham last year, I mean, she would be probably the best of all time, but I just can't really see it happening. And then we haven't even mentioned the likes of Vorban and Stateman. Like, this could be a, a really exciting race this year, which, as you say, doesn't happen very often. So from your perspective, are you, as you say, we have Vorban, we have Stateman, Willie Mullins is not going to be afraid to throw his hat in the ring. Um, do you think that it, it's a watching brief, let's see, it, it's not a betting division for yourself do you think that something will surprise us where how do you focus on the two mile hurdle division i think it would be a struggle to see anything coming out the woodwork to really mount a challenge to what we've seen in in, in the two mile champion hurdle division so far i think the principles we have will probably be the principles come come march as well uh, i i'm again it's 11 to 8 now for, for the champion hurdle is every chance he could be shorter because the opposition he's going to face on route isn't going to be all that special. I mean, his three main challenges are Irish, for example. So it could be a case of he could well be odds on on the day and probably will be if all goes to plan. But are you really want to be weighing in at 11 to 8 months out? Like, it's not really my idea of a fun bet. I'm sure some people will have it in multiples and co, but I think it's just one to sit back, wait, and hey, hopefully it's a great horse race on the day. Yeah, hopefully enjoy and hopefully it does materialise. I, I hate to put the spanners in the works of what we've seen in, and gone past, but I remember a few years ago when the news was announced by Gordon Elliott that Sam Crow was going to stay hurdling and we it was all the most overexciting moment of the season and then it just all fell by the wayside. And I just hope that we don't get disappointed again and that Constitution Hill is the real deal um, because it is fabulous for the sport. But Ross, um, it is going to be a long time coming and I know we don't want to always talk about the C word and it isn't all about Cheltenham but the clashes are important um, but it looks likely that Constitution Hill will run in the Ascot hurdle over two and a half miles who will turn up not too sure we're not going to see a huge amount that's going to make him need to prove himself between now and March um, can do horses improve for better for, for running in better races throughout the course of the season and is there something that you know, out in Ireland where you've got more competitive races that come March might just have achieved a little bit more, whereas he's going to have to really bring his A game later on after not really having to do much over the next six months. 
Well, he didn't. He didn't do too much in his couple of runs before going to Cheltenham, did he? And the Irish would have you believe that they're so good because they run in twenty runner competitive maidens week in, week out. Um, well, they didn't see which way he went at Cheltenham. So I, I, I understand the argument. I think with him, it, it's entirely null and void. I think the key to him is in his name, Constitution Hill. I think his constitution is clearly exceptional. He's got a great temperament. You know, you see the video of Barry Gerrish's kids riding around the round pen. Um, by all accounts, they were a little bit concerned about what they bought early on. Um, he can just turn it up and turn it off. I think that's key. Um, I think he's got great longevity, clearly got good stamina. I was <laughs> very confident that the ground was going to beat him at Cheltenham and had egg on my face. I think you mentioned me 10 days in a row, didn't you, afterwards, <laughs> Jeff, remind me that you were right and I was wrong. Um, he can do it on all types of ground. He's just a cut above these. Uh, Honeysuckle is a great mare, but she's going to be nine next year in the champion hurdle. Last nine-year-old to win the champion hurdle, anyone? Rooster Booster, 2003. So it'll be 20 years since a nine-year-old won it. Um, so stats would be against her. I think she was less impressive last than she was the year before. I think she's an admiral mare, but I think Constitution Hill's a real serious horse. Um, the question is, what do they do when they go chasing? Could he be a horse that wins a champion hurdle, given how well he clearly stays, as he t demonstrated at Sandown, could he one day go for the Gold Cup, do the Champion Hurdle and Gold Cup double? I'd love to see that in my lifetime. Um, I think State Man is interesting for certain, as is Vauban, but I think already the Triumph Hurdle form, the four-year-old form from last year, isn't looking all that hot. Um, so if I had to have the gun to my head and have an a anti-post bet in the Champion Hurdle, it would be good old Charger, who's getting on a bit, but he missed last year. He's only got six lengths to find with Honeysuckle on his, on his last run in the champion hurdle. And the one thing you know is he'll definitely go there. I think Constitution Hill is going to scare a lot of them off. Um, so Charger would definitely go there. I think if you've got a two-mile hurdler that stays a bit, you're trying to stretch it to go two and a half somewhere else because you don't want to take on Constitution Hill. Yeah, you, you certainly don't. Um, and uh, Willie Mullins will be happy to throw as many of his uh, toys into this as possible. And uh, Charger's just been such an admirable sort. I'm, I, I've been a honeysuckle uh, constitutional fan from day one, but I do think, and I've always been of the opinion, a honeysuckle is better the, the better the race. And I think that she was, she can be, she can be a little bit unimpressive when it's it, it's all a little bit too easy for her. And I think that happened in the champion hurdle. She just did what she needed to do. She's getting quite wise in her, in her years. So I'm really intrigued to see what the, the challenge Constitution Hill will, will have for her to face. And I'm happy to sit by her as the reigning champ and have achieved as what she has achieved. And I have so much respect for her. And Constitution Hill will just need to um keep going and then we'll see what what happens come Cheltenham time but just going to slightly side with Honeysuckle at the moment um based on what she what she has done so look that's the two-mile hurdle division really intriguing stuff and looking forward to seeing Constitution Hill unleashed hopefully in the next few weeks right we move on to the stairs hurdle division one that time and time again is always open there's always a stayer that we like to think is going to dominate but then sort of disappoints after, you know, the likes of Florian Porter. He's a bit of a wild one. Classical dream again, a bit of a wild one. They're all in and in amongst this division, but you can never be confident that they're going to uh, be completely flawless. And uh, it's one that a lot of trainers always feel like they can go and go and give a give a throw of the dice to and try and extend out their, their horses' uh, distances. So we could have something new appearing this year, uh, Ross, potentially is there anything that you think if they haven't thought about it yet maybe this is your call to arms to get them to think about it no not nothing that sort of jumps off the page it's a race that i really don't tend to look to until well after christmas because the one thing you can be certain about is something that's meant to hit the heights novice chasing will make a a, a mess of jumping and will be reverted reverted to this my thoughts for what they are is i think blazing cal looked underpriced to me uh on bare form you know beat bally griffin cottage by six lengths he was beaten 13 lengths by the nice guy uh, in the albert bartlett um danny mullins won the stairs hurdle last year um he schooled everyone else in that race he stacked them at the top of the hill and and sprinted away from them if between them all they can make it a more truly run race i think classical dream is still an in, 
an interesting horse. Um, I think he's as good as any of these. Uh, Bob Ollinger is, is going back over hurdles. This would look the obvious target if they can stretch out his stamina. He clearly just struggled with jumping. I'll be interested to see as well whether when he when he first gets declared, whether he's had his wind tinkered. There was no mention of it in any stable tour that I could see. And then the other one that I would just throw into there as a interesting horses is epitonte like what do they do with her now she's not going to win the champion hurdle having already won one so do they want to go and try and win the mares or do they want to do something a bit exciting and, and win the stairs because i think jp would probably have a few mares that he could aim at at the mares hurdle she stayed really well at entry um and if danny mullins can stack them at the top of the hill again and turn it into a sprint she has gears she'd be able to out sprint uh florian porter i'm certain of that I by no means certain that's the way they'll go, but I think she would be interesting if they tried it. Mm, okay, fascinating. Yeah, she showed that she was really effective at two and a half last year, but it's the, you know, what race at Cheltenham kind of question um, that they'll go for. But yeah, and keeping her away from Constitution Hill as well will be really important too. Um, so yeah, intriguing that epitant um, and how she will uh, progress this season and getting back to uh, her best at the end of last as well. She's, she's a very talented mare. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts on this division? Wide open, something that you'd rather, rather wait and see materialise? Well, this division just needs a new face. Um, basically, I don't really like backing Florin Porter. I have a classical dream. I've backed him too many times in my lifetime. Um, <laughs> lots of pain along the way, I have to say. Um, but I think there really is a horse in here in the Antipos market that could be the new face on the scene. And that is better than the likes of Florian Porter and Classical Dream. And that is Sir Gerhard. Now, I read Willie Mullins' stable tour this morning. <clears throat> it seems like he's on the fence, no pun intended, about going chasing. Pun was fully intended, by the way. Uh, <laughs> about going chasing or opting for the, the stairs hurdle route. But um, I'd be very much, very much on the side of stairs hurdle because this race is just up for grabs. And this horse is well capable of beating these. I'm, I'm convinced. He's extremely exciting to watch. Um, last year in the Ballymore, he was supreme. Uh, he moved up alongside Journey With Me, just kicked clear. And, you know, he hit the line really powerfully as well over two mile five. I think three miles would be well within his comfort zone. He strikes me as a proper three miler as well, just by the way he races. Like he's a little bit lazy. He continues to grind out victories. He's not a quickener um, that we'll see with the likes of Fasal Vega, etc. And I just think he's more talented. Uh, look, this is a call to arms to Willie Mullins put Sir Gerhard in the stairs hurdle because he's got a fantastic chance. I think he's around 18 to one right now, which is just ridiculous. There are two horses in this pod that I'm pretty confident about going forward. He's one of them. If I wanted to have an anti-post bet right now, it would be him for the stairs hurdle. Okay, Willie Mullins, I hope you're listening because you've had it here first. When and if you win the stairs hurdle, Tom Collins is looking for a mighty commission out of this one. Uh, <laughs> look, the the Chibley Park team who own the horse as well have got such a big division that are going novice chasing too. So you think that this makes it a little bit more fun for them. They've got one for every day at Cheltenham. Uh, so Sir Gerhard, who, uh, yeah, he's uh, he's an intriguing one. He, he looks very, very versatile too. Um, so we'll see if that is is brought on on board. Um, Dan, um, from your perspective, are you are you a, a Florian Porter fan? Uh, he's obviously done it twice in a row now at Cheltenham. He, he, he kind of he gets away with it, doesn't he, with the Danny Mullins on board? Um, or do you think there's something new lurking in here? Oh, as, as you say, Florian Porter, he's a very popular chap, uh, and understandably so, right? I mean, obviously, the sort of underground connections, the whole kind of thing around him, he kind of came out of nowhere the first year he won it. I, I entirely get why he's popular, but as Ross mentioned, he didn't win that race last year. That race was won by Danny Mullins, and I think the jockey's in behind. I, I think Sporting John not being in there, I, I know it might sound a bit odd, was probably the, the crux of it all, because I think Time Hill connections, obviously Philip Hobbs, and JP connections with Champ would have wanted something to go on and press Flooring Porter. And when he came out, there was no one else willing to kind of sacrifice themselves for the good of everyone else. Uh, and Danny Mullins did what Danny Mullins does with a beautiful front-running ride. But I, I just, I, I wouldn't really want to be backing him anymore. I, I, this division is in desperate need of something else. I mean, look at the horses we've mentioned so far. We've had Sir Gerhard Epitant, Bob Ollinger. Like, this kind of shows you the, the way this division works. And Ross also mentioned it. We can look at this race in like January and the entire structure of this market could be upside down. Like it is just complete. I mean, Hohoi Senor maybe, who knows? Like if his jumping doesn't get that together, like that's the kind of reality of this division every year. The one I, I was interested in 
a couple of months ago for this race at a price, I think it was 20 to 1 beforehand, was Blazing Cow, but now he's 8 to 1. And that doesn't really appeal to me as a bear. I think he's the one the most likely now. We know he's staying hurdles to progress. He does have something to find on form, but we know he handles Cheltenham. Obviously, he's going to be a seven-year-old. That is tends to be the prime age of the, the stairs hurdle winners. I think five of the past six winners were seven-year-olds. Charles Burns won this race, race in 2013 with Solwit. I think he has a, a good profile for a stairs hurdle winner, but the eight to one at this stage would not be for me. So it's just, uh, as always, it's a bit of a, a bit of a puzzle. And I think we'll look at it month on month and the complexion will always be different. It's it's one of the more fascinating races to look if you're always just keeping abreast of the markets. But as, as something I want to bet on now, uh, no, thank you. Yeah, I, it seems like the Charles Burns team have already started backing their horse, essentially, um, and the price has <laughs> just crashed. Um, but, you know, you read plenty of times that you know, breeders, national breeders don't go out to breed a, a stairs hurdle winner. Um, they want to breed they want to breed Gold Cup winners and champion hurdle winners. So it is a, it is a muddle um, because it's it's can be a little bit of an afterthought or might not it be it 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 happens out of um you know other other routes not sort of working or being stretched out whatever so we we shall see let's keep the 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 the, the staying hurdle division open and definitely something that we will review come uh, the midway point of the season um and see how it is uh, developing um okay something that's potentially a little bit more obvious and uh, we're going to see some real stars of of national hunt um, in general come back for the two mile chase division. Um, look, we saw one of the races of the, of this century really when with the SBK uh, sponsored Clarence house with Shishkin and energy mean, they're the two that everyone is looking forward to seeing, or is there something else lurking in there, Ross Miller? Well, I think first of all, we've got to hope that Shishkin comes back to his best. I mean, I think in my experience, horses have had skeletal issues, generally have a better recovery chance than horses that have had soft tissue injuries. So that that sounds really promising. Um, I've no doubt that he's the, the better horse. I think he had plenty go wrong from an Ascot and he still beat Enigamine. Um, I think Cheltenham should suit him better. So if they both get there on you know reasonable ground, I'd be Shishkin camp all day long. I know a lot of people got very excited about Grinatine the other day um, and he did look better, but he was well beaten behind put the kettle on the only time he's tried to champion chase. I think he's going to have to step forward a huge amount. And I would question whether he's suited by the Cheltenham track. Edward Stone was really exciting last year and he was a really nice horse, but that division has already been proven to look pretty weak. I mean, Warlord and uh, third time lucky were kicked out of the way in the Holden gold cup, getting weight from Grenatine. So I think he's going to have to step up and I think he will step up, but I think he'll step up in trip. Um, so the one that might just shake them up is gentleman to me. Um, he's a fast, accurate jumper. He was really impressive round entry every time, bar two, the, the cross fence, and I think it was the third last, where he was pretty cumbersome. Um, but that was just his fifth chase start, only his ever 10th lifetime start. So he's got plenty of scope for improvement. Um, if, you know, come Cheltenham, Shishkin and Enigamina getting into a bit of a cat and mouse battle, he might just get his own way of things up front. So I think, think he's exciting, but I think, Truthfully, it's going to be Shishkin and Enigamine. And I, and I quite like the fact that it is. I think sometimes these head-to-heads can, can really make uh, the division more exciting. Yeah, it's, a, it's a, a really important point about Shishkin. But if any person can bring horses back from obscure injuries, it is Nicky Henderson, isn't it, Dan? Because we've seen this with um, Altior Sprinter Sacra. We've seen it and it sort of adds to the, I don't know, romanticism, if that's the word, of the sport, really, when you've got, a story like this of a horse that we just saw not himself at all and to be to come back but we're going to have to wait and we don't know when it will be and I think Mickey Henderson has made it very clear that he's not going to put any targets on this horse because he uh he knows what's going to happen he gets absolute dog abuse but let's hope it all gets it all pans out the way that they want it to because it will be it'll be great to see him part of part of what hopefully will be a, a battle between him and Energy Mean and the and the rest and, and this new novice and the novice coming into open open company. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well for by Nicky Henderson's standards, he seems fairly optimistic about Shishkin. I mean, as you say, generally he's a bit more cautious in the, his approach. Initially, it didn't seem likely we would see him until next year at the earliest, but all of a sudden the Tingle Creek seems 
a plausible target, which I think is very optimistic for supporters of Shishkin. I think we, when everyone discussed the champion chase last year, the argument basically revolved around Enegamin had his own way in the Clarence house. Everything kind of went right for him and Shishkin still beat him. For, for my mind, that argument hasn't changed. Obviously, the champion chase completely fell apart last year. The deteriorating ground definitely favoured Enegamin as well. I still think Shishkin is the horse with a superior ability. Now, obviously, he has this small question mark about him, but as you say, if there's someone you want on your side to get a horse back, it is Nicky Henderson, and, and I think he is the, the one I would, if forced now to have a bet on for the likes of the champion chase, it would be Shishkin. Obviously, Fernie Hollow is another interesting one, but he ha- has had so many niggly issues now, it seems, and he lacks a lot of experience, and I think the way they're talking, not even going to try him in grade one company until the spring. They're going to try and build him up slowly. I think he's a horse with so much ability, but reliability now is a question mark. Last year's novices, probably bar him, are a fairly average bunch. So like Ross says, it could be a case of Enegamin Shishkin round, technically free. But I mean, if they get there both fit and farming, it's only really round two. And and I hope it is because they are on their day, two absolute top class two milers. Yeah, they they certainly are. Um, Enegamin and Shishkin sort of busting out um, from a champion chase perspective, uh, from a betting perspective. And it is Enegamin that's half the price of Shishkin. Um, do you think that's fair, Tom? Would you are you would you be confident that he can prove himself again with a with a top class Shishkin uh, to battle against, or like, or did is what you saw at Ascot that day something that can something that ensures you that Shishkin is is the more superior horse? Yeah, well, I was very much in Shishkin's camp in the SBK Clarence House Chase. I thought he was going to win that a lot easier than he actually did. Amazing race, undoubtedly the best two-mile chase we saw last year and maybe in the last decade. Um, I can't overlook the injury for Shishkin. I can't overlook that run at, at Cheltenham for Shishkin. And at the moment, I'll be taking completely the opposite approach to the lads. Like, I wouldn't be having a single penny on Shishkin, even if I thought he was potentially going to come back to his best. Just because we don't know, there's a massive unknown there. And the market hasn't really factored that in as much as I anticipated. I think Anagamine should be a lot shorter. We know what we're going to get from him. Undersoe's actually already been mentioned on this pod, which I wasn't expecting. But I think Anergamine is a better Undersoe. Like he has everything that Undersoe had, but more talent. He's got more verve early on. He's a horse that's going to be really hard to pick up. And yes, the hill will favour Shishkin if he's back to his best. But Anergamine's only eight. He's only been beaten twice in his career. Willie Mullins knows what he's doing with these top-class horses. So right now, as boring as it is, Anergamine for me. Interesting. Big words. Just a quick one, Ross. You know, you're... Uh, you've been in and around horses all your life. You know them injury-wise. Is there the the confidence that you have with a horse when they seem to be, you know, sound and come in in season after season with no issues to horses that are clearly fragile? Is that something that worries you, or do you feel like when there is something when you've recovered from something, you can come back to your very best? I I, I think you you certainly can come back to your very best. It's and I, I, I would love to go and have a day down and watch what Nicky Henderson does, but he clearly has the ability to tailor their training regime to the issues they might have, but at the same time, not compromising clearly their fitness and, and, their, and their sort of readiness. And Paul Nichols touched on it actually this week when he spoke about Frodon. He said, as they get older, they actually need more work. So you give them more work, which makes absolute perfect sense. I think human nature is... As things get older, they get more fragile. You look after them a bit more, and actually, perhaps you're not you're not helping them by doing that. So, no, I've got absolute faith that if if he has recovered physically, there's no reason at his age why he can't get back to the same level of um, physical uh, perfection. Really, if you if you like to look at it that way. Yeah, and we're not dealing with a leg, um, you know, a tendon or anything here. It, it, it is an unusual one. Um, okay, well, we'll see. We'll see how that uh, materialises. Shishkin um, has beat, he's got a lot of uh, backers, but energy mean for Tom now, um, who he's uh, on to so likes and his traits and Ross is intrigued to see how Gentleman Demi um, can perform in this open division um, as well. Okay, right, we're going to move on to Triple Crown Chasers. And we're going to do this a little bit differently. We're going to do a quick far round uh, for everyone on here because this is obviously the, the creme de la creme of all, the, of all national hunt uh, divisions. Uh, everyone wants uh, a type that could go off and win a Betfair chase, a King George and a Gold Cup. It is 
none on impossible to do. But there are horses in this division, I feel, and I'm sure the guys do, that probably could do. But there, there are also horses that, are, that just do really thrive in, in each individually because they are all on such different tracks. Um, but I suppose the Gold Cup is what we're mounting up to. So we'll go a quick bow round, firstly with the Betfair Chase, and then King George and Gold Cup and get everyone's view. So, TC, Betfair Chase. Aplutard wins if he performs to the same level as last year. Dan? Yeah, Aplutard, pretty easily. And Ross Miller? Yeah, Aplutard, unless it, it turns into a real bog, in which case I think that brings Royal Pagai and Protector out into it. But I think Aplutard, if, he, if, he, if, if the ground is good enough for him to run, he'll win. Okay, so the, uh, the the one that got closest to this Triple Crown last year, Aplutard, who went on and won the Gold Cup, was not part of the King George, um, and that's the race that you've got to win in between. So, unless they go down that route, but very looks very unlikely now that Alaho and Mboyalan are going in, in the King George for uh, the Chibi Park team. Uh, this is a, is a really intriguing affair. Brave Man's Game has obviously thrown his hat into the ring as well. So, TC, King George... Brave man's game, the 13th King George winner for Paul Nichols. Dan? Alaho. Nothing in his league if he goes. And Ross? Yeah, I completely agree. I think Alaho's different, different class to brave man's game. I think we mustn't confuse exceptional jumping with exceptional performance. Two I'd throw in at a price anti-post. Pick Dory and Hitman from Paul Nichols. Oh, intriguing. Uh, Paul Nichols does love this race. He, do, he, um, he, he farms it, doesn't he? So, yeah, intriguing to see how, how, if they get um, their say in here as well. Um, Alaho obviously has been uh, mooted as, as a horse, sort of be absolutely ideal to this King George. Whether we will ever see him turning up in a Gold Cup, that will be the question. I suppose it's uh, I suppose it's it's redundant really when uh, Willie Mullins has the likes of Galloping Deschamps, who would be my selection for a Gold Cup. Very obvious. Um, we'll see what the guys um, what the guys think on the, the feature race of the season. TC, your Gold Cup thoughts right now? Statler, a double figure price. I think he's definitely the value play. Okay, Dan. Aplutard, I just think he's the most solid option. You know what you're getting, and his performance in the race last year was absolutely top class for the Chevy Park hat trick. Okay, and Ross? I think Galloping Deschamps will stay. He's no price at the moment. I'm with TC. I think the value in the market is Statler. Okay, well, really intriguing there. Looks like Aplutard's going to be the closest to, to get that triple crown, at least uh, getting two-thirds of it and uh, continuing on from what was next excellent season um, last year. So that was the, tri the triple crown chases. Again, a division that we'll uh, get really into as the, as the season materialises. And I suppose when, once we've had the, the King George, we'll be able to look at this and uh, hopefully uh, reassess a bit like the Stairs Hurdle division as well. Um, OK, we're going to keep going. Um, and a couple of other um, just slightly different uh, areas to focus on just to throw out any other names. You want a dark horse to follow uh, from the guys. Uh, Ross, what is your dark horse for everyone to put in their trackers? The first, Mariko Davassi um, with Tom Simmons. He was going every bit as well as Balco Coastal at Huntingdon when falling three out. He was giving Balco Coastal £7 on that occasion. If you read Nicky Henderson's uh, stable tour, they love Balco Coastal. Then uh, Mariko Davassi went on to Doncaster, breezed past everything going down to the last and made an absolute horlicks of it and lost his back legs on landing and virtually landed in a standstill. And uh, the last hurdle was very close to the finishing line on that occasion, but he picked up two flicks of the stick from Aidan Coleman and he flashed past and, and got up to win. Tom Simmons' stable struggled last year with their health. So that you can put a line through anything he did after that. He's going uh, chasing... He's off a mark of 125. I think Balka Costa is about 133. I think this horse is really well handicapped. I think fences will suit him. I think he's a really exciting horse to follow. Uh, then another one I'll throw in is Fugitive Richard Hobson, again in a yard that struggled with health last year. He did still win two chase over two miles. I'm convinced he was winning over two miles because he's a smart horse. I think he'll be stepped up in trip this year. I think he's really exciting. And then one more is Can Do Kid for Paul Nichols. Uh, who was really impressive on his only hurdle start at Ascot, then got injured, uh, beat Shall We Have One More and Peking Rose, both who are rated 133. Um, I think Two Mile looks a minimum trip. I could see him being stepped up. Might make up into a nice handicapper or better. 
Okay, right. Really intriguing. Marika Devasi, Fugitive and Can Do Kid, which I saw got a little smile from Dan overall after that. There's a couple <laughs> in here that you are uh, intrigued by. What, what, what's your dark horse? I hope Ross hasn't stealing your, stealing your limelight. No, it's more the fact that, again, it's asked for one and this time he delivers three, <laughs> even <laughs> up for his usual two. <laughs> yeah. you, you, no one can ever say Ross doesn't deliver the quantity, if anything else. That, that, that is for sure. Uh, it, it, it wasn't the one I, I went with. The one I went with is a horse I've been a fan for a long time of uh, ever since she came to the UK, and that's Holly for John Joe O'Neill. Came to the UK with a very big reputation, won a couple of grade three AQPS races as a three-year-old, fifth at a grade one. Some of the French racing experts I talked to were even comparing her in the same breath as Epiton at their relative stage of their careers. She was disappointing on a hurdling debut, but weak in the market, looked in desperate need of it. Second time out, she beat Storm Dennis, who's now rated 120, and did that so cosily, like a horse who's in a completely different league. The third is also now rated 118, so the form looks pretty reasonable for that kind of level of event, and she showed so much natural speed that day. Really visually impressive, a proper two-miler. Now, she made a seasonal reappearance at Chepstow at uh, the opening meeting, or the October meeting. Comments from the paddock were that she looked like she was desperately in need of the run, and the market pretty much agreed. Like before the off, one of the more notable market drifters you'll ever see. And I think that's always something to bear in mind, especially with the JP horses. The market does tend to know when they're not going to be running to their best. But despite that, in a slowly run race, she traveled from off the pace into contention really well, came run on the outside given a very lenient time after her chance was gone. And I think it was a race of immense promise for her. The winner, Sonagino, has bottled up again since and is now second favourite for the Greatwood. Neither the Terrier was second, and she was running a very good race at Weatherby in the Mare's Hurdle before falling at the third last. She wasn't out of that by any stretch of the imagine, imagination. And yet Holly was dropped a pound to a mark 124. Now, I'd be baffled and very disappointed if she can't be much better than mark 124. I think one more run is required for her to enter some of the more premium handicaps. Uh, I think she'll uh, prove to be a lot better a mare than her mark 124 in time. Okay, a really comprehensive reason why we need to put Holly in our trackers as a, as a dark horse. Hopefully it uh, remains dark and under the radar before her. it becomes uh, uh, d- does too much winning, but it sounds like she is on the verge of that. Um, okay, Tom, have, uh, where's your dark horse? Yeah, my dark horse is Il Ridotto. Now, don't sleep on this horse. He's only a five-year-old. He's trained by Paul Nichols. He had great form in France before coming across uh, to the Nichols barn. And yes, second time up last year, he was successful in a, a 0-150 handicap chase at Newbury. Really impressive performance, which led me to believe that he had a bright future. Don't really think he was that well campaigned, which is unlike Paul Nichols for the rest of the year. Um, but he showed up nicely as well uh, at the Cheltenham Festival in the Grand Annual. Now, the weather that day was horrific, if you remember. It was a downpour, the ground had gone, and yet he made a huge move from the back of the pack into contention going around the bend, only to then flatten out late on. This horse needs a fast gallop. He didn't get that in two of his races last year. I think he's supremely well handicapped off 140. As I say, only a five-year-old, open to plenty of improvement. Maybe his victory, and I don't know when this podcast comes out, but maybe this victory is going to come in the Gold Cup, the featured Gold Cup at Cheltenham. Is sponsored by one of our rivals. So it's not the Gold Cup, you know what I mean, (laughs) Uh, on November the 12th, next Saturday. um, I think it's around 10 to 1 for that race. And I'm going to Cheltenham. So, uh, yeah, I'll be getting a few notes ready for Il Rodotto. Okay, so depending when you listen to this, we've either um, already given you uh, something that uh, you've uh, shouted home or um, you'll be asking Tom to rethink his selection. Uh, Let's hope Will Rodoto does the job for you at Cheltenham. Um, Okay, intriguing there, Dark Horses. I'm just going to throw in one that nearly went into my novice hurdle um, uh, division, and that's Between Waters for Nikki Henderson. Um, She's a daughter of Walk in the Park who just dominates um, at the moment as a sire beautifully bred um, out of a King's Theatre mare. She bolted up in her point-to-point um, over in Ireland when with Sean Doyle. Um, I think that they were hoping to run her back in the springtime, but they've uh, given her plenty of time. She, she'll want um, she'll want testing ground at least. And um, I think she could be pretty smart. Uh, the vibes uh, have been pretty exceptional and she's a stunning horse uh, too. So we'll see how she develops. I think she is in the colours of Mrs. Snoring Table. Um, so uh, between waters for me um, from a dark horse perspective. 
Um, okay, right. Now, something a bit different. We're going to have a tr- tr- trainer or jockey to watch. Um, these guys um, on the pod uh, do plenty of watching of uh, jumps racing. So uh, there are trainers potentially that have got a string uh, better than than most seasons or a jockey that is just riding with a lot of confidence off the back of a good year last year, whatever it is. Um, Ross, is there, are there a couple of names you want to just add to the list? Yeah, so so two jockeys that I've got first-hand knowledge of. They rode for me in, in point-to-points when they were very young. Uh, Thomasina Easton, um, who's based with Neil Moore Holland, who does really well bringing these girl jockeys through because no matter what anyone says, it's definitely levelling out. But to get chances as a girl, you have to be just that little bit better than if you're a boy. It it just the way it is, particularly with getting outside rides. He did it really well with Millie Wanakop before she sadly had a neck injury. Thomasina's a really bright girl. She's actually got a first class honours in chemistry. Can't think there's many of those kicking around the weighing room. She'll get stronger in a finish, but she positions herself in the race really well. She used the brain. The ride that really caught my eye was a, when she won on the horse called the Turtle Said, who is mad and very tricky and she just managed him beautifully at Worcester and, and won very easily I think she's going to go a long way another one I've thrown is a lad called Luke Scott who's spent a long time point to pointing he was stable jockey for Tom Weston Tom Weston would have a fairly big operation buying young horses running them as four-year-olds in points and then selling them on plenty of experience in point to point on four-year-olds I think stands you well he's now based with Dr Richard Newland who's done well with conditions like Killing Leonard and, and Charlie Hammond before that I think he'll get plenty of chances. Again, he's a really bright boy, positions himself well, very good to an obstacle rider with a good length of leg. And he was very impressive at faking on, when winning on Shetland bus, um, out-muscled Harry Scout and Sam Tristan Davis in the finish as they came to swamp him. Didn't look out of place. I think he'll get plenty of chances. And both of those two claim £7. For a trainer, for a, for a trainer, I think Sam Drinkwater... Not a big yard, but he's putting together quite a nice team of horses. I was really impressed by his campaigning of Buzz to Turking last year. Sadly, lost him in the Tommy Whittle. He had Rathgall Hill win this weekend at Foss Lass in a novice hurdle. That looked really impressive. And earlier in the month, he had Bally Breeze absolutely sluice up in a novice handicap chase. Watch him, his horses in first-time handicaps. He gets them well handicapped. He positions them very well. Uh, and particularly if he travels further up north, they don't go up there for the coffee. Okay, um, lo- a lot of names for you there from Ross's uh, mindset, um, worth noting for this season. And yeah, great when you've got a, a trainer that can play horses so shrewdly as well. Um, okay, Tom, um, any names for you, jockey trainer? Which one is it? Yeah, jockey, not, not that much outside the box. Um, a guy called Jordan Gainford, who we know plenty about because he won the 2021 plate uh, on the shunter. He won the, the Galway um, plate last year as well. Uh, on Hewick as well, who has also gone over to the US and won the, the Grand National, which wasn't a Grand National at all. It was a hurdle race, but still huge prize. Um, this guy's ridden 82 winners. He gets loads of rides for Gordon Elliott. I expect him to have a great year and probably double that tally. Maybe he's got another 80 winners in the locker. Okay, Jordan Gainford, yeah, as I say, he's been given the best opportunities by some big trainers and uh, yeah, that gives you so much confidence as well. Um, okay, uh, Dan, uh, have you got a jockey? Have you got a trainer for us? Is a trainer and definitely not one that people are struggling, scratching their heads of not hearing about. I'm going with John Joe O'Neill. Now, if you look at last season, he dropped 12 places in the Trainers' Championship compared to the previous year. Actually earned less prize money too, I think. And that's very odd considering the COVID had brought the payment levels way down and then went straight back up for last season. But he actually had the most winners he had in the campaign since 2014-15. Now, that's just emblematic of a yard going through a bit of a transitionary period. A lot of his old stable stars are, are, are kind of gone. They're on the way out. But he's bringing through some very nice young horses. And I think we've already seen a few of them, like Sir St. Davy, Springwell Bay, who UTC mentioned earlier. And if you look at the spending in the point-to-point sphere, I think he's got 16 horses from point-to-points this year that we know of. I think they came to a total of 1.8 million in costs. So he's getting some very decent ammunition through the door. I think we've seen a few others, like the likes of Collector's Item, who, who won at Chepstow earlier in the season as well. Whether it's going to be a case of them exploding to life this season, perhaps not. But I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see the yards start to get back up to where they were a good few years ago. Uh, so I think just keep them on side. And, you know, John Joe generally, if he's campaigning his novices, start over two miles. And as they edge up in trip, they uh, tend to progress as well. So just a few to keep an eye on. 
Okay, um, interesting thoughts there. Can't believe we got all the way to nearly the end of the podcast and we haven't mentioned Christian Williams. Um, obviously, not a uh, not a man that um, uh, is is going under the radar anymore. But um, he was definitely a, a friend of the podcast last year, and uh, I think he he's still going to go the same route like he did last year and avoid some of the bigger meetings and plot out paths for a lot of his horses but he's probably going to have a better quality of horse now too and it'll be really intriguing to see how he does with those not the five thousand pound types that he's picked up that are uh, out of a uh, out of a yearling sale but these are you know big money french bred horses and yeah i, I just i'd like to see that it all materialize in the right way for him but also see how he does do does uh, while, while plotting them out um, in, a, in a more of a handicap, un- unconventional style. Um, so Christian uh, will keep following uh, how he gets on. And my uh, conditional jockey is Jack Hogan, who I've been really impressed by uh, for Fergal O'Brien, who's given them plenty of opportunities. And he, you know, he's quite a tall guy. So, um, you know, having, being able to have his claim makes such a big difference but he's he just seems like he's got a good good head in his shoulders um and he's been really effective around all sorts of different tracks and I'd imagine Fergal O'Brien is going to be sending him here there and everywhere uh, with Paddy Brennan at the at the top top end of the of the tracks and they've got a big yard and a big team of horses um for him to get a lot of experience on so those are my two names um right we're nearly to the end now um we're just going to fin- finish off with an anti-post play um which can be something where and we love this. We want a bit of value right now. Um, something of any race of the season. We know that Ross, um, who is a proud Welshman, loves the Welsh National. So he probably has been thinking about it since uh, the beginning of the year. So we'd like to get his opinions on that. But look, anything from the Grand Nationals, the Cheltenham Festival, whatever it might be, um, an opportunity now to state your claim. So why don't we start with Ross? So what will always be in my mind, the Hennessy Gold Cup. I think it's now the... Coral Trophy Gold Cup. I think our power, he's not a massive price, but I think he'll go off shorter than he is. He stayed on really well at uh, Kempton the other day. I think the extra two furlongs are going to suit him. I think he could perhaps be a horse that will win a few staying handicap chases going up in distance. So he's bang on my radar for that. Um, and then, yep, the Welsh National, uh, the Irish uh, trained, Peter Farhi trained, the big dog. Uh, he won over three miles on soft ground on his comeback run this year. That's plenty short enough for him. I think he's tailor-made for the Welsh National. Uh, proper soft ground will suit him and I think he's uh, got a great chance. Yeah, okay. Two also, I really love our power um, again and also Sam Thomas. We must mention him. Um, he Let's hope he has a great season too um, as well. Okay, uh, Dan, uh, what have you got for us? Yeah, so I delved into probably the, the Cheltenham anti-post markets for probably the first time this season, really. I've been like, delaying it as much as possible, really, to try and not get suckered in too early. But I, I looked at the Brown Advisory Novice Chase. A journey with me as a horse that TC mentioned earlier, I, I definitely respect. But the one in there that I think is maybe just a bit under the radar currently, which considering uh, what he's achieved so far is actually quite strange. But James de Burley, I think you can get 20 to 1 about, and that's pretty readily available. Now, I think... The crop that Willie has going novice chasing has taken a bit of a hit recently, but I think the fact that he's one of the lesser mentioned names shows you how ridiculously talented his yard are. Now, look, he missed all of last season with an injury, but based on reports and stable tour words, he seems very well. Like He's a horse of extremely good French form. He's a dual-grade three winner, beating the likes of Galeo Conti. Narrow seconds in a couple of grade ones over there, and he was chucked in the champion hurdle for his first start for Willie Mullins and his first UK start, which admittedly struggled in but I think that's fair enough to forgive that run and then he shaped really nicely in the Punchestown Stayers hurdle of 2021 smuggled into that race from off the pace came with a really good run to finish second to Classical Dream who put in a a superb performance with a host of pretty decent performers in behind and he was only a five-year-old when he did that and he was allocated a mark 156 now not many are going to go novice chasing having achieved more with a higher mark the current market favourite after the nice guy's unfortunate injury is now Manila Kakuna, another Willie Mullins horse. Personally, I thought all of last season, this is a horse who's probably going to be best over an intermediate trip just because of his keen going nature. He did finish second in the Albert Bartlett, but I think the way he races will be more tailor-made to intermediate trips over fences. And it's interesting that Willie Mullins kind of alludes to the same in some of his stable tours. Now, I wouldn't be basing all of my anti-post punting on start a season Willie Bolling stable tours because that is an easy way to do yourself out of a lot of money but I think it's an interesting line of thinking and whereas James de Burley who 
shaped really well over three miles on his most recent start. The notes about him are that he is going to be aimed at some of those top staying novice chases. So at 20 to one in the market, I think it's taken a bit of a blow with the likes of a nice guy not running and some of the others at the head of the market currently uh, look unlikely to run as well. I thought 20 to one about him for a horse who with some very good form in the book, uh, I thought that was a fair value. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a much more open and puzzled picture than um, it, it can tend to be uh, here for the brand advisory. Okay, so James Savelli for Dan. Okay, finally, Tom, what have you got for us from uh, a, a nice a nice value punt at this stage? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I'm not really an anti-post punter in general, let alone this far out, and we're looking towards Cheltenham and, and Aintree, of course. Um, so I've only had two bets, soon to be three, when I can uh, somehow get on Sir Gerhard from the stairs hurdle. Um, but both bets so far have been on Statler. Now, I've backed him for the Gold Cup, which he's around 18 to 1. It's going to be the main reason why I'm going to talk about him here. But I've also covered bases with the Grand National around 25 to 1, just in case they reroute there or take in both, which would be dramatic, but it could happen. Um, I basically love this horse, Statler. I think he's very talented. He was my nap at the 2022 Cheltenham Festival uh, when he won the National Hunt Chase. He beat Ron Wild Fred, who's a good horse, not incredible. So he's clearly going to have to improve. Um, to tackle the likes of Galapandis, Chamba, Plutard, etc. Um, but he's 18 to 1. He's a good each way price. Everything about him strikes me as a, a Gold Cup horse. He's a stayer who relishes um, a good fast pace early. He's an accurate jumper. He's young and primed to excel. Now he's moving up in um, up in grade, up in age as well. He's mentally and physically progressing. He's with Willie Mullins. The weight, he can handle any kind of big weight. He can handle any kind of conditions. There's just loads of ticks in the box of Statler. And I think if he progresses this year as anticipated and he can remain healthy, which so far, so good, um, then he's going to have a massive shout in both or either the Gold Cup and the Grand National. If I was just to pick one race, it would be the Gold Cup right now at 18 to 1. Yeah, and it's it's great that, well, as you say, Willie Mullins bingo is, is what happens throughout the next eight months but um he has said that he's going to aim him for the gold cup and although ronnie bartlett i'm just having a look now has got galvin we saw galvin has a few jinx in his armor anyway doesn't he <laughs> and tom shakes yeah, his head he, can't have him <laughs> he, he, he can't win he can't win the gold cup i don't think yeah so statler could be usurp um his uh owner's other other um runner in that in that kind of field as the number one so um statler um he uh he's already shown what he's capable of at Cheltenham. so right really intriguing guys we have plenty of horses to add to um trackers notebooks whatever it might be um we've got the we've got equine we've got human form um trackers uh, all of them that you might need so hopefully we look back at this in a few months time and our horses have, have done us proud or at least are just taking their time to materialize to so their main targets later on in the season and um, thank you as ever to, to tom to dan to ross for giving up their time and to giving us so many um interesting insights not the most obvious ones either and i think there will be a lot of podcasts where you'll be hearing the same old names so um really good stuff guys thank you so much um as ever please make sure to like subscribe we have a weekly podcast where we go through the main races of each weekend um, with our, our naps and our place plays and all of our regular selections and hopefully some of these horses will be appearing in that too um, for now many many thanks for joining us best of luck for the season ahead and we will see you soon 